Welcome to Beyond the Code, the podcast where industry experts and brilliant legal minds discuss the impact of new emerging technologies. I'm your host, Yitzi Hammer, a lawyer and tech enthusiast. Join us as we explore the legal, regulatory, and ethical issues surrounding AI, blockchain, and more. Get ready to go beyond the code and stay ahead of the game. And we're on air. Jess, thank you. This is awesome. Thank you um, for having me. Yeah, I've been wanting to have you on for a while. I think you're the I think you're the only other one of the few other people in Tel Aviv that we actually have like really uh, meaningful conversations about like social impact and web three outside of it. It's, it was just refreshing. What does that say about you? the rest of the web three? I mean <laughs> the Tel Aviv community. I, I I plead the fifth on that one. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So I definitely want to talk about blockchain for good because it's something that we're both passionate about and also um ECC is coming up next week. I had a great time last year. I think you're it was this is this gonna be your first one? No, second. I was there last second. year as well. Oh, you were there last year too. Yeah. Um, it's definitely the FOMO is real. I'll say that. <laughs> I wish I could go, but I can't this year. So I definitely want to talk about blockchain for good, but I also don't know all that much about you. And I know you've got like a KitchenAid, which I'm not even really sure what it is, and like a whole bunch of other stuff. Like I know that your hands are like a little bit everywhere. You do Crypto Mondays and you do Good Dollar. So for the benefit of myself and for my listeners, I would love if you could just give like a brief introduction to Jess. Like who are you? Where are you from? What do you do? And your passion for the space, and then we'll move into blockchain for good. Yeah. So I'm Jess. I'm originally from New York City. I've been living in Tel Aviv the last four years. Um, these days, I have my hands in a lot of different pots. Um, I'm a freelancer in the space, so I help Web3 startups with their marketing and growth strategies. Um, most of them are Israeli companies. Uh, that is from Kitchen, which is an agency that we started last year. Um, and without going into like too many, too much details, but starting your first company is really hard, <laughs> especially in a bear market. Um, so, I mean, we have the, there were four of us that were really strong, like have a lot of experience in the space, um, specifically in Israel. Um, from everything from product to design to marketing. Uh, so we decided to open up our own agency. Um, that's a bit on hold now, just I think as we we're all trying to find our, our path in this bear market um, and really understanding like what it means to work. Like I started it with the goal of making it a DAO one day. Um, and taking a decentralized approach to starting an agency, which just does not, let me tell you, it doesn't work. <laughs> We're not there yet. Um, but since then, we've really grown the wing women community, which is the reason why we wanted to start this agency in the first place, was to just um, bring more female talent into the space and create a safe space for women to ask all their questions about web three like the only rule we have is there's no there's no such thing as a stupid question um and it's since grown to we have about 30 different web three professionals in israel um wow. female professionals um we do weekly co-working sessions 
Um, and we're looking to, we're looking for V2, which will have more of a focus on impact uh, through Web3 um, for other female-led communities. Um, I'm also very involved with uh, um, community, like crypto community gatherings. So I am a co-host of Crypto Mondays in Tel Aviv. Um, and I support a lot of the global ETH events. Um, so my friends at ETH Barcelona, I was helping them out. Um, I also was part of the organizing team at ETH Denver. Um, my passion for this space really comes from seeing how this technology <clears throat> can gather so many people together. Um, I started three years ago at Good Dollar, the universal basic income protocol uh, founded by eToro. And it was all, you know, remote community building, like with teams in Nigeria and teams in India. And I think there's something really special about now that the pandemic has passed, how we all get together in real life and really maximize the, those meetings for whether it's hackathons or it's, uh, you know, these kind of, um, awareness campaigns. Uh, I'm very excited to have met so many amazing people in this space. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I think that, you know, there was the whole like NFT craze and everything. And I, I guess most would say that like NFTs as a product or, you know, as like collection, NFT collections as a product has in most, in most respects failed um, like the phenomenon but if there's one good thing that could be taken from that industry, it's the community aspect. I mean, totally. I've never seen such such a strong community building tool anywhere else. Um, you know, some of them crashed and burned pretty hard. Um, but other some other ones um, have continued to sustain the bear market. And I don't know, I know that like within this space, some of my like some of the best conversations and some of the people that I've come to admire the most are people that I met through either NFT communities or other web three related communities. And I think that that's like a very, very powerful tool that will definitely continue to draw on wherever the space evolves to. So yeah, I definitely agree with you there. And tell me about good dollar. Like, I guess that's probably where your passion for blockchain for good came from. Again, I'm still not in. I, other than the fact that Yoni Asia and Itaro had something to do with setting it up, I'm not really sure what it does. I even signed up when when uh, I knew you were coming on as a guest. I went onto Good Dollar and like I opened up a, or synchronized my wallet with uh, with the platform, and I'm getting G's. I'm not really even really sure what that means or what could I, what I could do with them and how like the good aspect comes in. So give me a little bit more of like a background on like what good dollar is and how it's saving the world. Yeah. So, so good dollar is an open source protocol. Um, that's essentially DeFi for good. So the way that the protocol works is that it wraps around other DeFi protocols like Aave or compound mm -hmm. and the rewards that are generated from staking into the good dollar protocol um, is uh, redistributed as universal basic income. Um, the way to receive it is just to prove that you're human, sign up with your phone, use a social account. Uh, um, and the idea behind that is we really wanted to make it as easy as possible for anybody to have access to crypto without having 
to need a bank account or a credit card, or there are a lot of obstacles that exist that make um, crypto still somewhat a game. I don't want to say a game, but um, uh, the experience of being in crypto is somewhat reserved for people with the resources that can, you know, afford to lose (laughs) in crypto as as most of us do um, Mm -hmm. and have the ability to be, you know, speculative or, uh, experimental. Um, but Yoni Asia, the founder of eToro, uh, back in 2018, wrote a white paper called The Invisible Hand, um, which lays out why blockchain technology is the technology for bridging, for, for bridging the unbanked to financial systems. I hate the word unbanked because that assumes that we want everyone to have a bank, which is I don't agree with, but the idea that everyone should have access to digital assets and the ability and know-how to manage them, use them, um, interact like with their peers, uh, this is where the dollar was born from. So it really started as like a sort of like a money experiment. Um, like, hey, we're building this open source protocol. We called, we asked members of all these different communities to join us um, from developers, from ambassadors. Uh, the real reason why I love Good Dollar is because it introduced a really innovative concept or approach to philanthropy, which is the you can do well for others and do well for yourself approach. So you can stake in Good Dollar, you know, create universal basic income for the now over half a million people that have claimed it all around the world. But also you as a staker have the incentive because you're also, um, you know, receiving rewards from that stake. Uh, and you have, you know, the ability to participate in the DAO and really co-create this impact ecosystem together versus a, you know, save the children approach, which is a one-off donation where you don't actually see where the money goes. There is no transparency in those kind of donations. Um, and my background is in a web two impact. Um, I spent uh, the five years before joining web three, I was working with one of the largest global health organizations. And as amazing as the impact was, you see on the other side, um, you know, budgets, uh, donor priorities, um, kind of a lack of this circular, like circular feedback loop um, that really enables for a product that is, you know, human designed, I like to say, uh, like designed for the users by the users. Um, So yeah, I think that's, that's really what piqued my interest in uh, web three specifically for unlocking impact, but really I, this has been happening for years. I remember in 20, 18, one of the projects I was working on in uh, Kenya was using M-Pesa digital money to create like consumer health rewards um, for local, like local villages and ecosystems there, um, basically incentivizing people to make healthy decisions. You would then as a user receive rewards in M-Pesa, which you could then cash out and use for What's M-Pesa? Is that, is that a digital oh, token or? Yeah, yeah. M-Pesa is um, the, it's, a, it's not a cryptocurrency, but it's a digital currency. 
um, in most of East Africa and, and places like Zimbabwe, um, where it actually reached over 50% of the national GDP last wow. year was just, was through M-Pesa. Um, just because we all know what happens. Who's the issuer? Um, it's a, telecommunications company that uh, like owns the network but it's it's um you it's basically like most of africa has skipped the credit card revolution and gone straight digital so the m-pesa is the first like real big example of people using digital money um without needing a bank so you just and, load up your phone you're like your t9 phone but i'm sure that the telecom company takes some kind of like cut from yeah. the transactions. I mean, cause so they, it's centralized, so they have to pay the network costs, et cetera. Totally. I think it's so like it's, about two to 3% on each uh, transaction that ends. So it's like a bank takes. in a sense. Um, It's just much easier to like actually access money with M-Pesa because you just need your phone. You don't need to, you know, you don't need a KYC or whatever. Like yeah. you don't care who you are. Just, you just have a phone. And you set up a wallet account, whatever it is. Cool. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I think that's what that's what really piqued my interest in how um, like fintech technology can penetrate into the world of international development that has like feet on the ground, um, you know, local implement implementation partners. But this is like the new wave of technology that um, can really solve for a lot of a lot of problems both on the organizational side, like for nonprofits in terms of distributing aid and for users too, to have more of a sense of autonomy um, in these sort of ecosystems, right? Because my problem with the impact industry is that, you know, USAID will come drop off $10 million on a project after five years, it's gone. How do you set up sustainable ecosystems so that the beneficiaries are still uh, able to use the resources that were already invested without being totally reliant on like the donor being there? So you're talking about the accountability aspect, basically transparency, accountability. And somewhat like ownership. Um, you know, if we talk about like. Uh, if, if you have a DAO incorporated where the. You know, benefactors are DAO members, then I guess you could share ownership in that sense, at, at least like ownership vis-a-vis decision-making. Is that what yeah. you had in mind? I was thinking more like ownership of resources given, um, you know, rather than just airdropping uh, medical supplies, you're actually giving people valuable resources that is money that they can then do whatever they want to do with. Right. But I think in some of these like third world countries, like either they don't have the actual products that they could take the money and go ahead and buy, like it's not accessible to them or that there's too many third parties that are somehow in between them and obtaining these products and will take advantage of them. So again, I'm not like an expert on third world countries and poverty, but I have a feeling that, you know, just airdropping them medicine and food might not be the worst thing. Like, I don't think it's no, done for it, malicious not, reasons. <laughs> right, right, right. And it's not to discredit that. I'm just, I, to your point, like, what can blockchain do? It's the accountability and transparency. Um, 
like you said, but I think Web3 takes it a step further where the user becomes the driver of this technology adoption versus the other way around, which, which is traditionally it has been, right? Like, uh, or somebody is like pushing it on you, like download yeah. this, buy this, go here, do this. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess you're like empowering users in that sense. Yeah. I mean, it's a long way to go. I think one of the other issues in like when tech companies do impact is the the human element of it. And this is where nonprofits like really uh, outdo like humans, tech companies. Yeah. <laughs> but they're... There needs to be, I'll say it, I'll be totally honest, there needs to be greater accountability from tech companies that are doing this type of impact because at the end of the day, we're giving away money, a resource that you know people need the right financial education and literacy on first. Um, and so it's kind of like a chicken and the egg, right? Like, do you give it away first or do you teach about it first or, or you know, which, which way does it go? I think... They probably have to go hand in hand. They do, I mean, but if you give it away without educating, then it's going to be gone, and you're going to be back to square one. Um, if you educate without giving it away, then the education, like it's not real until you've like touched and felt and made mistakes on your own. You know what I mean? So there's got to be some kind of like um, I don't know middle ground where you are educating and giving at the same time and maybe like escalate giving based on progress with educational materials, something to that effect. Um, yeah. I think that's with anything though. Like also, I mean, I've got kids, so um, there's, there's, there's always this process of like teaching them new things and at the same time, giving them responsibilities but only after you teach can they really understand their responsibilities. And only after they have responsibilities do they understand the magnitude of those responsibilities. So like with it, and it's the same thing with employees and with, um, I don't know, any, any kind of interaction with people. You have, you know, new horizons, new frontiers and zero knowledge, zero experience in them. You need to gain that experience together with gaining your footing i don't know am i am i just going around the circles or am i making some kind no, of no, sense? No, it, <laughs> no it makes total sense and in the perfect world that would be happening i just think our um priorities have shifted somewhat in crypto do you remember the cut like everyone was saying financial literacy like web 3101 like back in you know a year or two ago and then and then the conversation kind of shifted to okay what are app what are real world use cases and how do we how do we onboard people without using the the web3 jargon and the the you know complicated somewhat complicated terms for a newbie like does someone need to understand what a smart contract is in order to receive UBI I don't know but there has to be some balance there some uh there's definitely the convergence of the two somewhere. And I don't think, I think there's been more of a push recently by like institutions to, to really understand that, but we're still very, very early days. And so that's why I'm very cautious when I look at impact projects. I'm like, what are you pushing on people versus what are you encouraging? 
encouraging people to adopt with the right resources. Does that make sense? It, it does make sense. I think that, like you say, it's very early days. Like any kind of new technology takes time to learn and understand. Like I'm sure that at the beginning of computers, um, you know, I was too little to really take notice, but um, probably most of the people who were probably, probably most people who were playing around with computers also understood programming at some level or wanted to, or, you know, or needed to. Mm-hmm. Um, and so today I probably most of the people who are getting their hands dirty with blockchain are, you know, writing their own smart contracts or understanding um, blockchain at, at a deeper level. It's part of like learning any new technology and even people who are, not programming and not writing smart contracts want to understand these things at least at a rudimentary level so they understand what these new technologies are actually doing behind the scenes. As the technology uh, progresses and as more and more people are onboarded into Web3 and into crypto, I don't think we'll need to have that. I think like in order to build products at scale, people will be interacting with smart contracts without knowing they're interacting with smart contracts and they won't care. Like how many times, like when you open this Zoom invitation, did you know like how many lines of code were being written in the background or, or you know, being put into play? No, and you didn't even care. And even if you were a coder yeah. or a programmer, you wouldn't care either because all you want is to use this application. But I'm sure, you know, at some point in, you know, in each technology's life cycle, somebody was getting really excited and thinking everybody needed to know and understand the nitty gritty of the technology. Yeah. I think to to your point, what I've seen in this uh, ecosystem is probably my favorite thing is meeting the people that are really passionate about the transformative power of this technology. So like knowing that we're not there yet, but we know what could be. Um, and so there's, there's uh, some really great communities there. Some that I've been lucky to be a part of like positive blockchain, they're based in Berlin. They have like an open database of all the different Web3 for good projects that are built on blockchain. Um, and so I think as as long as we don't, uh, as long as we encourage those voices to really like move in the ecosystem um, and, you know, sharing the resources to do that, like Optimism, for example, is about to launch like a multi-million dollar grants pool for impact projects. Like, that's great. Like we we're probably, like you said, for products to scale, um, not quite there yet. But if we can get like the groundwork um, and like build really solid teams around them, I think then I'm hopeful. Because I really, I, I it's probably like you, 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 you also you've done like NFT fundraising for impact projects. Like I think it's pretty, it's almost like a no brainer to look at, you know, fundraising, for example, through like, like a community crowdsourced uh, pool, like NFTs is a great example of what NFTs can do. Right. Um, But how do you, yeah. So the way I look at it, there's two, there's two pools of blockchain for good subject matter that are worth looking at. Okay. Number one is where you could take this, you know, technology and apply it for making the world a better place. Okay. So the obvious examples are the ones that everybody always talks about are like carbon credits and, um, or, you know, initially 
um, blockchain, but Bitcoin specifically were thought of as harmful for the environment. So looking towards ways of consuming less energy through block, like of existing blockchain usage. Um, a big one, which nobody seems to be able to wrap their head around yet, but I think is going to become a big thing in the future is, you know, there's this move to put everything on chain, like um, all, all, all types of data. But specifically, I think um, there are a lot of interested parties who'd like to take all healthcare data and put it on chain. And there's issues with that because of the mutability aspect and, and whatever. But I think that that's going to be one of the things that's going to happen in the not so distant future. Once we figure out from a privacy aspect and from a and from a security aspect how to do that best, um, so those are like just like the basic ways that you could take blockchain technology as a technology, you know, and what we spoke about before access to the to people who are unbanked access to money without uh, without you know malicious intermediaries or whatever. Um, but then the other side, which is kind of the side where I'm more interested in. Um, is how we could use blockchain technology, existing technology, to empower um, charities and nonprofits to, you know, up their up their game. Okay, so be it um, how to raise money in a more efficient manner, or how to engage their donors, or um, how to service their, you know, I, I call it clientele, but whatever it is, if it's like old people or people who are mentally ill or people with disabilities, you know, how you could take these technologies and implement them into your existing, you know, I'm not like talking about setting up a specific organization to do a specific um, blockchain good, but rather taking existing organizations, you know, who have their own mandate, you know, let's say it could be focused on helping people with mental health issues um, and taking available technologies through blockchain, crypto, NFTs, DAOs, you know, all the stuff that we talk about a thousand times a day at all these events and podcasts and whatever it is, and just implement them in their in their day-to-day to make them better, like using these existing technologies. So, you know, one way is taking enabling people to make donations via crypto. Another word, another is taking digital art and using it as a form of fundraising there's mm-hmm. you know any number of ideas i've i've heard a few i would love to hear from you if you have any i was just going to ask you first what's been your experience with nonprofits um and when you approach them with web3 and blockchain cuz i can share mine but i'm curious to hear yeah. hear how it's been for you i'll tell you um so Anybody that you approach, charities, non-charities, who's not from like within the Web3 community is initially, their first reaction is, ew, crypto, right? Like they're like, especially within the last year, the association is Celsius and FTX and uh, Luna and right. all these like, um, not necessarily bad actors, but just like unfortunate situations that led to you know, already a, a bad press around something right. that people were uh, skeptical to say the least. So right. when you come to a charity that has to be sensitive of, you know, donor relations, be it existing donors or future donors, they don't want to immediately associate themselves with something that's considered shady and scammy. 
Um, that's that's generally with anybody that you talk to, um, but specifically charities. After you get over the initial hurdle, the first thing I always tell people is, if somebody wants to donate, if you if you if you tell people I accept donations in dollars, and somebody says I want to donate a million shekels to you, you'll figure out a way to get that money, right? Like you want to yeah. enable people to give you money. So, excuse me. Um, so if somebody comes and says I want to give you a million dollars in ETH or in Bitcoin, you should do the same. Um, and you know I've had this specifically like within Chabad communities. It's like a thing. I don't know. People have just like boatloads of Bitcoin lying around and they want to donate them to various charities. So that's like the the the, the easiest hurdle to get over is, you know, uh, these are the steps you need to do to enable yourself to be able to accept donations of crypto. It's super simple. Um, it sounds like convoluted and, and complicated. It's really not. It's super simple. It's like two or three clicks. And there's two companies that provide these solutions. I've worked with both of them. They're wonderful. Um, but that's just like, you know, putting a widget on your site to enable people to donate in crypto. And it's not like a, if you build it, they will come kind of thing. Like it's very possible that nobody will donate any crypto to you, but why not make it available if somebody does want to? Um, and then once, once, um, organizations have taken that initial step and made, and made, made themselves accessible to crypto donors, I always say, okay, so now that people can donate crypto to you. Why don't you start appealing to a different community, right? Like who has crypto, but either DGENs, um, like who are like young people um, or like some, some more like sophisticated um, trader types. Like there's, 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 there's different like asset classes of people who hold um, crypto so um, you as an organization could sort of market yourself to those um, asset classes to try and make your your organization one that's interesting for them. Everybody's taken hits in the last in the last uh, year with their with regardless of who you are, everybody's lost money. Um, so you have an, an opportunity to take some of your crypto, make a donation. It's tax deductible in, in almost every jurisdiction. Like there's, there's, there's tons of reasons why somebody should donate their existing crypto to a charity other than that. You just want to do good for the world. Um, but people don't like, I found that, um, like, (laughs) no, like, and and that, and it's true. It's true. It's uh, yeah. People are not like crypto, Crypto degen types are not um, are not generous when it comes to yeah. <laughs> making donations. Like it, it should be like the easiest thing ever. Like you click a button, there's no gas fees. You just um, you know donate any asset. It could be five dollars. It could be ten dollars. It could be a thousand dollars. Like I thought in an industry where people like spend you know thousands of dollars in a heartbeat on a JPEG, completely <laughs> speculative. Like they would feel generous yeah. towards you know, sharing a little bit of ETH with a charity that's doing like really incredible things. Um, yeah. So far that, yeah. you know, that, that wasn't the case. I was actually very surprised, um, but whatever, like, like you said, and like this is and I, I know it sounds like a cliche, but it's still early days. And I don't think these, these technologies are going anywhere. I think these communities will evolve, but ultimately many of them are not going anywhere. Um, and I think that any charity who 
chooses to embrace these technologies and to sort of like adapt their marketing materials to um, communicate with some of these um, communities, it's going to ultimately be, be worth their while. Um, I, this is supposed to be me interviewing you, but um, I'll just, I gonna, know it. <laughs> I'll finish with, um, with one point. Um, there were two places which I thought, well, there was one place which I thought would be like the easiest way to integrate uh, crypto donations. Um, and then another where I think will be a good place uh, going forward. So like a lot of these um, NFT projects like um, House of Legends. Yeah. Um, yeah. and Who did a lot Board, of good, by the way. And also Board Ape Yacht Probably. Club and others as like a marketing ploy. Um, presumably told people, you know, 10% of all of, uh, of, of all of our, um, yields from the mint, we're going to donate to X charity. Okay. So, you know, here's an opportunity for charities to make themselves available, um, for various NFT projects to donate to them. And it worked. I mean, if you go onto the giving blocks website, so you'll, you'll see there, all, all, all of the, um, not all of the companies of feature, but all the companies that these, that these NFT projects ultimately donated to are available on the giving blocks platform. So that's something what I think is, um, could be a, a great way of going forward with, um, NFTs and charities. And this is something I speak about in ECC is what I would call the, the giving pledge. Okay. So any artist who would deploy a collection of NFTs, you know, you could put into the into the smart contract that you get perpetual royalties, the artist, right? It used to be like something between like five to 10%. And then some of the platforms were able to, to, to um, override that and take it down to zero or take it or make it optional. But ultimately, if you deploy your own smart contracts and you sell in your own marketplaces, then uh, nobody could override it. And it's, it, you know, ostensibly it should be immutable. So what the giving pledge would, would encourage project creators and artists to commit a certain percentage of their artist royalties perpetually to a charity. Okay. So you could say, let's say 5% of royalties go to the artist and 2% of royalties from secondary sales go to X charity, you plug in their, their, their wallet and it will consistently forever and ever and ever Anytime somebody sells, it will flow to this charity. It's a great thing, no? Yeah, yeah. That's that. That's the goal, right? <laughs> yeah, I got <laughs> to just I gotta, make it as easy push it, as possible. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if people were only still buying NFTs, it would be a great idea, right? <laughs> but uh, um, but I'm open for more ideas. Like so, like, please share with me any ideas you have for how we could take blockchain and leverage it for good, and how we can encourage people to use these technologies to make the world a better place. Like I want ideas. Um, yeah. I think one of the things that's missing and um, you just have to acknowledge it is like, why do humans, why do people give charity? It's not a hundred percent a selfless act, right? You either have a tax deduction or you get, you know, to host a gal, like a table at a gala, or you have, you know, some publicity around your, giving um because people want other people to know that they're good too right um and that's just human nature so i think uh i think one of the the successful projects that have like um distributed a lot of crypto 
donations are the ones that also gave the most back to the givers, um, making them feel like either you get, okay, a good example of this is um, Glow Dollar. Do you know Glow Dollar? No. It's, Check them out. uh, it's a, yeah, check them out. They're kind of similar to Good Dollar, but basically um, like a stable coin backed uh, token that's um, all about lifting others out of poverty uh, like another ubi model um but in terms of marketing they give so many kudos to their early supporters um and really incentivize people to be like part of the first wave of adopters and like donate their good their crypto to or stake their crypto in this um protocol that will uh you know hopefully help others that are less fortunate. But um, in terms of marketing, they did a really good job of uh, really acknowledging the community of supporters. And I think this is important, especially when looking at like NFT communities. There are some examples I've seen, I think it was World of Women where they decided to give uh, a, pro a percentage of their proceeds to uh, some charity, I forget, forget what it was but there was a lot of backlash from the community because it wasn't part of you know the original roadmap mission statement. it wasn't part of yeah it wasn't part of the original mission statement so people felt like it was more of like a centralized decision by founders to do this kind of charity even though it's charity like we shouldn't be complaining at all but it's i think it has to be written from the beginning um also just recognizing that the majority of crypto degens are you know skewing towards like gen z's 90 percent of gen z's want to do impact like it's 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 actually like one of their top consumer preferences um but Like how they don't do want they it to do come it out of their pocket. no exactly they just want to know that their purchases are either like sustainably like eco-friendly or sustainable or have some sort of give back mechanism incorporated like Um, if you buy a, a pair of glasses, you give another pair of glasses, right? That's like the most low touch way of doing good is buying something for yourself that you know will help someone else. So maybe we can find a way to crack this in terms of like vouching for people doing good, you know, making the, the real uh, social change makers stand out above the crowd of, you know, just the, the bored ape. <laughs> teachings um that are going on for a yacht party but yeah it's a it's a coordination problem which most of web3 has in general I'm just checking out Glow. Do either of these platforms, Glow, Good Dollar, do you have any like statistics that you could show how many people were impacted as a result of these platforms? Because they like right yeah here all these nice things, like for every $20,000 of our market cap, we'll lift somebody out of poverty. Like, okay, like who, who, who did we lift out of poverty, poverty yesterday? Like, was it John from the streets of Prague? Like, I want to know, like, I want to, I want to, get in touch with like the actual good that's being done. I don't want to just see a website with a bunch of, you know, words. Yeah. 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 Um, if you want to see some stories of like great crypto impact, there are a bunch of YouTube influencers that like travel the world, um, going to different communities that have, um, either crypto fundraising or web three 
technology back like baked into their nonprofit model. Mm-hmm. Um, and seeing those stories, I think is, it's not just like a feel good moment, but also an aha moment of how, how are other people around the world using it? But in terms of like numbers and hard statistics, I think my favorite one that just made it so clear to me that this technology does enable uh, good is that from the original million dollar stake that eToro made in Good Dollar, we've distributed over $300,000 worth of UBI um, to everybody that has claimed it at least once. So that's just like a clear example of like, yes, we can actually program our money with these values and do good with it. Now the question is, is like, who's getting it? How are they using it? Is it sustainable? Is it scalable? That's like reoccurring questions that we still need to solve for. But the actual like redistribution of crypto wealth, because if you look at the the gaps between, um, I, I mean, I think the, the wealth gap in Web3 like far surpasses that in terms of Web2, if you look at, you know, crypto whales and, and uh, everyone else, um, it's astonishing. And so these protocols exist. These smart contracts have been written. They're open source. Anyone can, you know, wrap them around whatever project they're doing to continue contributing to it because the technology has solved for that. Like we know that we can redistribute wealth in a better way. Um, And in a win-win situation where not just people are benefiting from it as like a claimer, but people can also have a new way of doing philanthropy through Web3. Thank you. So, yeah, <laughs> I'm, 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 um, I think once we get out of the spare market, we'll see a lot more of, of these kind of projects come up again. A lot more projects or a lot more giving? Giving projects. <laughs> we don't need projects. We need people to put their hands in their pockets. Yeah, but we also need the use cases. We don't need crypto use cases. Like there's plenty of people in the world who need a helping hand. Like it doesn't, it doesn't have to be that everything is, web three like converted to web three terms like there are starving people in the street this is is i was talking about in you know within the context of organizations before but if there's starving people in the street figure out a way to get the guy a hamburger like if you could use crypto to do that that's great yeah yeah it should be a tool for for raising and distributing money which it is but it should be used more within the context of of charity and again, like I, I'm, my mind is blown by the amount of money that people just waste and wasted on JPEGs. And I, w- I would think because they treat money so unconsequentially, right? Like people just like spend ETH on crap. You would think that they would, you know, take that same stance and be like, yeah, what's what's a hundred thousand dollars? What's 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 fifty ETH? Okay. Um, to give to some charity who's like who's actually asking for help and who actually is like really helping people, but no, like it, it's it, it it's mind blowing to me. You're not wrong. <laughs> so let's finish on a positive note. What's your blessing for the world of blockchain? My blessing for the world of blockchain. 
Um, post post bear market. My blessing is is that we continue building trust in, in this. I think we're all in the business of building trust um, for whatever reason, but the the greatest trust can be this um, trust with social good behind our actions that we trust each other enough to want to do good for each other and move away from this, you know, kind of a scammy rug pull, uh, you know, fear of what, of the bad that crypto can do and find a way, whether it's through self-sovereign identity or better governance or just more awareness that we can trust each other more and share these resources in a more regenerative way. I like that. And I think we're already there in like uh, in many senses because like, you know, the industry has matured somewhat. The bear market tends to do that to people, you know, like it weeds out all the scammers. And I think that it'll be, you know, maybe your your blessing will will see fruition quicker than you thought. That's <laughs> One last question and then I'll let you go. Why did you bury your startup so so quickly after you launched like you said it wasn't it was really hard launching in a bear, in a bear market and yet you did launch in a bear market so you know you weren't uh sidewinded by a quick downturn in the market what made you decide to put it on the back burner for now great question i think i personally wasn't ready to be a founder at that time and i was looking for the support of my co-founders to pick up where I couldn't, you know, lead. And if the be- the best and hardest lesson I learned from that is uh, if you re- truly want to found something, you have to get down and dirty in every single part of the business and really know, like I, I'm speaking to a lawyer, I hate everything legal. That's why one of my co-founders is a lawyer. Um, but I need to understand that in order to, I needed to have better understood that um, in order to really I mean, push this company forward. I mean, you need to better understand like what your co-founder's business was. What do you, what you when I you think, say that, what you're referring to? So, so when I said earlier that I took a decentralized approach to starting this agency, where we, you know, all brought together our skills and resources from all different uh, angles and backgrounds you still as a founder need to understand all those different funnels and channels. And if, even though I'm not a lawyer, I need to understand the legal aspects of starting a company and I need to be in deep down in those details as much as it scares me. Um, But that's growing pains. Um, And for, a future company that I hope I will, or if we restart kitchen the way that we wanted to, um, I definitely learned a lot from having uh, distributed sort of like that, those responsibilities versus um, just tackling them all together. I think that's uh, usually the best recipe for a successful startup is having had a failed one prior to that. So (laughs) you could... (laughs) You check off failed startup and then move straight yeah. to successful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you don't, you can't knock it till you try it. So I don't regret it for a second. Totally. 
Thanks, Jess. This was great. Thank you. I know how hard the, the startup thing is. Like I have a law firm. It's not exactly a startup, but I also I did start out like my own practice after you yeah. know, being an employee for forever. And it's really hard. Yeah. You know, it's hard getting business and it's hard not knowing what the month is going to look like. And it's hard mm-hmm. working with partners or co-founders, whatever you want to call them. It's hard. It's 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 hard. You know, there's yeah. just so many moving yeah. pieces. And so I feel you. <laughs> totally. That, that's somewhat reassuring. <laughs> Anyways, thank you, thank you, thank you. I will not see you in Paris, but I'm sure I'll see you at some event somewhere in Tel Aviv in the near or distant future. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Code. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe, share with your friends, and to tune in again next week for more fun and insightful conversations.